this year is the 250th anniversary of one of the most significant and enduring hymns of the Christian faith. Unfortunately, that faith is uh, that hymn is not in our hymnals, but we're going to print it out, and we've printed it out, and we're going to sing it tonight. That hymn is this, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. How many of you, to your knowledge, have sung that hymn before, God Moves in a Mysterious Way? I'm going to read these words to you of this incredibly deep hymn. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Listen to this verse. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Does anyone know who wrote that hymn? British man named William Cooper. In English, in American English, we might say Cowper because that's what it looks like. William Cooper, in the British pronunciation, wrote, There is a fountain filled with blood. I believe he also wrote, Oh, for a closer walk with God. This is maybe, other than there is a fountain, perhaps his most famous hymn, God Moves in a mysterious way. William Cooper was a man whose life was marked by unthinkable tragedy. William Cooper was, I think, only of two of, of, two of the surviving of, only, of, of seven children. I think he was only one of two that survived. His mother died at six years old. His father sent him away to a boarding school. He knew Loss, and he knew it so consciously. In at the age of, I think it was 21, he had his first mental breakdown. He attempted suicide multiple times over his life. It seemed like every 10 years in January, he he it almost had he almost had it on a calendar. Every 10 years in January, he had a massive mental breakdown that led him to asylums and to multiple suicide attempts. He was close friends with John Newton. John Newton influenced him more, was a confidant, a friend, a counselor to him, who he owed so much of his spiritual experience. And William Cooper was an incredibly gifted poet. John Newton, knowing this, actually this is an interesting uh, tidbit, not only for his spiritual poetry, Benjamin Franklin reviewed William Cooper's poetry favorably. 
you see the interlocking aspect of, of history around the time of the uh, Declaration of Independence. William Cooper began writing poetry for hymns at the insistence, at the, at the encouragement of John Newton. And this is one of the hymns that he produced. I want you to listen to these words again. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Tonight we're looking at the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is a love story. It's a love story. The word love is not mentioned in the book, but it is a story of the romantic love between Ruth and Boaz. The story is a gospel story. It is a story of Boaz, who was the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, who, like Christ, entered in to the brokenness of this family of Elimelech and redeemed it, purchased it at cost to himself and brought it to life once again. Jesus Christ is our Goel, our kinsman redeemer like Boaz is. This is the gospel in a miniature. But the story of Ruth is more than that. It's a story of providence. It's a widow's story. A story about Naomi. In fact, this story focuses almost more on Naomi than it does on Ruth. By the way, did you notice as Calvin Todd read this entire book for us, that as we got to the end of this book, who are the women of the town praising and encouraging at the end of the book after the baby is born? It's not Ruth. Did you notice that in chapter 4? Verse 14, And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to whom? Naomi. This is a story about Naomi. And I want to suggest to you tonight that as we look at this story from the perspective of Naomi, you're going to see the truth of the words that William Cooper penned 250 years ago. Behind of frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. My challenge for all of us tonight is that wherever you are seeing tonight what appears to be a frowning providence, that you, by looking at the story of Naomi, would be able to penetrate those clouds with the eye of faith and see inevitably that behind it, if you are in Jesus Christ tonight, there is a smiling face. The title of the message tonight is Behind a Frowning Providence. Behind a Frowning Providence. This is the story of Naomi. Well, we are not going to look 
through this entire book once again. I intentionally read through this whole book for us tonight so that you'd be able to grasp the story for yourself and we'd be able to go and look through the story of Naomi in particular. And we're just going to divide our study tonight in three parts, all taken from this wonderful hymn. First, we're going to look at a frowning providence. Secondly, we're going to look at a smiling face. And third, we're going to look at what William Cooper calls fresh courage. Fresh courage for you and for me, wherever we are confronting a frowning providence. Where do we begin in the book of Ruth? Where do we begin with this frowning providence? Well, it's interesting that this book is situated right after the book of Judges. How does the book of Judges end? Does anyone know? With the famous theme verse of Judges. What is the famous theme verse that describes the entire book of Judges? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the end verse of Judges. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And the entire book is an illustration of that verse. Where will humanity go when there is not a settled submission to Jehovah? They will do whatever is right in their own eyes. And that is our testimony as well, by the way, friends. That is our own story. And the book of Ruth begins in that judges. Will you look with me in verse 1? Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Now why would there be famines in God's land? God told his people. He said, when you obey me and submit to my commands, you will have plenty. You will have prosperity. And when you don't, and when you wander away from my commands, and you give yourself to idolatry, I will send famine. And so this very well may have been connected to the apostasy of the land, of the people. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of this man, Naomi's husband, was Elimelech. That name means God is my king. This is a man who had a testimony in his very name to submission to Jehovah. But here is the first thing you need to know. This frowning providence had to do with human choices. Human choices. Why did Elimelech leave Bethlehem? There was a famine. What an irony. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. And here, Elimelech and Naomi abandon the house of bread that may very well have been under the judgment of God, and they go to Moab, the place of rebellion against God, the place of God's enemies, the place of idolatry. They have left the house of bread for a house of idolatry. Well, these human choices are then followed by overwhelming calamity. Now notice again verse 3. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now, we here at Straightgate over the last several years have confronted the pain of widowhood together. We have lost those men in our congregation, some who have been so dear to us, and we have seen the challenge and the pain of widowhood. We, have, of course, have seen this in our own Magnuson family. But not only 
Is Naomi deprived of her husband? Naomi is deprived of her two children. It is impossible to overstate how precarious her economic situation is. Not only a husband who would be her provider, but now her two sons. She would have been entirely destitute in that day and age. And what is she here in all of these economic, social, and emotional calamities? She hears there is bread in the land. There is bread in the house of bread. And so she goes back here being utterly stripped of any kind of social safety net. Now notice what happens as she returns to the land of Israel. The first thing she does is she tries to push away her daughters-in-law. Did you notice that when you were reading through the story? Both Ruth and Orpah come to her and say, we want to follow you. We want to go with you. And what was her immediate reaction? No! And did you notice the reason? Notice, Ruth says, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. Ruth is showing this incredible steadfastness and loyalty. But if you only go back a few verses, look at what Naomi says in verse 12. Turn again, my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I, I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. She is perceiving that God is stiff-arming her that he is intentionally punishing her and judging her and ruling against her for her choices. And this has led her to incredible sadness. You know that word there, grieves, for it grieveth me much. We're going to see the, the cousin of that word come back in just a moment. Do you know what that word means? Bitter. She is literally saying, I am embittered. I am embittered that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. In other words, in this frowning providence, she sees nothing but a dark cloud toward God. There is a frowning face that is all she can see. I am bitter. I have been stripped. I have been bereaved because God is against me. And you know, friend, that will be the temptation for any of us who are confronting a frowning providence. It is God who has turned against me. Why did I lose this loved one? Why did I lose this career? Why did I lose my social standing? Why did I lose my economic gain? It is because God is against me. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And what is the response to which we turn? Bitterness. I'm embittered. I'm grieved. In fact, notice how much this has become her identity. Will you notice? Notice verse 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, 
And the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Friends, you need to understand. Does anyone know what the name Naomi means? My delight. My delight. And here Naomi, in her brokenness, looks up at God and then looks at the people of Bethlehem and says, why would you call me my delight? when I clearly am not delighted in by God. He has testified against me, he has afflicted me, and he has dealt bitterly. He has brought bitter tasting things. He is dealing harshly with me. Her human choices with this overwhelming calamity has brought her under a seeming dark cloud toward God. Toward herself she was embittered toward her daughters-in-law. She was saying, don't come and share in my bitterness. Friends, this is the temptation for any of us when we are under what appears to be a frowning providence. And I would just ask you tonight, wherever you are in life, whatever circumstances you are, is there a hint of bitterness in your life toward God? Is there a hint of that that says, God, you're really treating me harshly. That sees a dark cloud and maybe you tie it back to your previous sinful choices and you say, God, I know it's my fault. I know I was the one who messed up here. But God, you're still taking it out on me harshly. That's natural. It's entirely from a human perspective alone it seems entirely reasonable. There is a frowning providence that Naomi could not help but sit underneath and see only darkness. The second thing we need to see here then is a smiling face. A smiling face. Behind a frowning providence, there he hides a smiling face. Now, we have to go then to the end of the story. We have to go to the end to see how this entire situation works itself out. Chapter 4, if you'll just turn over there very briefly to Ruth chapter 4. Notice again the human choices that were connected to this apparent frowning providence. I want us to notice something about these human choices. Only if Ruth, I'm sorry, only if Naomi and Elimelech went into the land of Moab would Ruth ever have become a part of this story? It was Naomi and Elimelech's human choices to forsake God's land and God's people that even allowed Ruth and Boaz to come together in the very first place. God's providence, God's smiling face, even in the realm of perhaps sinful choices made by his people, were part of God's working all things together for good to Ruth. And the challenge for all of us is when we fill ourselves with guilt, when we fill ourselves with shame, when we fill ourselves with doubt, when we fill ourselves with staring up at what seems to be a dark cloud and say, God, it is you. Yes, it is my sinful choices, but you are dealing with me harshly for those sinful choices. You don't see God, even with a smiling face, behind 
what appears to be a dark cloud. If you think about that in the story of Joseph, as Joseph said clearly to his brothers, he said, you meant it for evil. You meant evil against me. That was your sinful choice that you made. But what? But God meant it for good. Behind a frowning providence in the evil choices of Joseph's brothers of selling him into slavery, God was smiling. God was bringing about what was necessary to save his redemptive people by sending Joseph into Egypt. This was the only way that Ruth could have entered into the genealogy of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, if Elimelech and Naomi made a perhaps sinful choice to go in to the land of Moab. God moves in a mysterious way. I saw this also in recently in the life of Hannah. We read through... Uh, together, 1 Samuel, and we have been going through that book now. And it struck me as I was reading about Hannah, and here is a woman who is a second wife, and she has no children, and wife number one has children, and Hannah is just utterly broken about this. And we read her going to the tabernacle and pouring out her soul, and, and it says she was in bitterness of soul. Bitterness. What was, Ma what was Naomi in? Bitterness of soul. Here she is just pouring out her grief to God. And what is the message that she receives? What is the, first of all, the promise she makes? She says, if I have a son, I will give him entirely to the Lord. Do you think Anna would have made that vow if she had, been, had conceived a child with absolutely no problem whatsoever? Do you think she would have made that? No. It was God bringing her that providence, that frowning providence of deep bitterness of soul and agony and suffering so that he would bring about Samuel, the prophet, who would be God's redemptive leader for his people. God has purposes for our suffering beyond what we can know. His hu the human choices of Elimelech and Naomi were not outside his sovereign will. But notice also what happens to Naomi's overwhelming calamity. This complete brokenness, this complete isolation, this complete grief and bitterness that she has been brought to. Notice the end of the story. Do you notice what the women say to Naomi in chapter 4? They say, the Lord has not left you this day without a kinsman that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons. Did you notice that? These women said, this daughter-in-law, Ruth, that God raised up for you, even in light of your sinful choices, is better to you than seven living sons. Her calamity had been turned around by the restorative grace of God and his provision of a kinsman redeemer in Boaz. And what about that dark cloud? 
The dark cloud is completely gone from Naomi. In chapter number 2, Naomi is already identifying the kindness of the Lord. He's al she's already identifying and coming out of her fog into seeing God's providential hand. And now at the end, what do we see? We see the women saying to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. He's the one who has brought about these pleasant circumstances for you. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. You just can't get over this kind of reversal. You can't get over that this is something that God delights in. He delights, as Scripture says, in making the barren woman a mother of children. He delights in taking what is left behind and the refuse and bringing it up and elevating it into a place of security and strength. This is the Lord's doing. He has taken in Jesus Christ the stone that the builders rejected and he has made it the headstone of the corner. This is God's working with man. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And this is why I want to suggest for all of us what is needed tonight is fresh courage. Fresh courage. Can I read that lyric again to you? Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Fresh courage. What fresh courage do we have to see in Naomi's life tonight that we can take for ourselves? Here's the first thing that I want to encourage us with. First, it's never as bad as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. Do you know our tendency, again, when we are in seasons of a frowning providence, we always seem to think it's worse than it actually is. Do you remember Naomi coming back to Bethlehem? The hand of the Lord is against me. He has dealt very bitterly with me. He has afflicted me. Call me Mara. I'm not a delight. I'm a bitterness. That's the only thing. That is my identity. We wrap ourselves up in an embittered identity. Who am I? I'm the one who's lost everything. Who am I? I'm the one who's suffering. Who am I? I'm the one who's embittered. Who am I? I'm the one who God's against. That's how we naturally relate. But do you know, friends, God's smiling face was seen even in advance of her calamity. Boaz was her kinsman the whole time. Boaz was there and he was becoming wealthy and he was becoming a man of stature. God was preparing, was providing Boaz even when Naomi was off suffering in the land of Moab. She just didn't know it or didn't remember it. It's not as bad as it seems. And I don't mean this to be condescending. I mean it to simply say this. God is doing more than you know. God is doing more than you can see. But in the seasons of frowning providence, Boaz was there the whole time. She just didn't know it. You know, there's something here as well. Not only is it not as bad as it seems, is that we oftentimes have far more than we realize. 
we have far more than we realize. You see, Naomi couldn't see Boaz yet as she was coming back into the land of Bethlehem thinking that she was empty. She had nothing. But do you know what she did have? She had Ruth. She couldn't really see Ruth for what she was yet. She tried to push away Ruth. She tried to isolate herself from Ruth. She said, no, don't come and partake of my bitterness. You've got a good life. You go do your thing. But what she didn't realize is that Ruth was the one who would be more to her truly than seven sons. The son she was grieving. She had more than she knew. And I say that for this really simple reason. The tendency for any of us in seasons of darkness and depression and discouragement and difficulty is to push people away. It is to isolate ourselves. It is to begin to feel self-pity and to seal ourselves away so that we don't bring others into our problems. But do you know what God helped Naomi to see is that he had given her Ruth for a wonderful purpose that she couldn't have even realized at the time. She had more than she knew. And my encouragement to you, in seasons of frowning providence, when you look up and see a dark cloud, to step back and say, wait a second, God, what do I have? Yes, in this area it seems very dark, it seems very bleak, but let me turn around and start looking at what you have given me, at who I do have, at certain smiling providences that you have brought into my life. It's a very simple thing to count your blessings and to name them one by one. And you know what? In seasons of frowning providence, it might just surprise you what the Lord has done. So first of all, it's not as bad as it seems in God's frowning providence. Secondly, you almost certainly have more than you realize in seasons of God's providence. And here's the third. Start investing in what God has given you. Start investing in what God has given you. Do you know what I love between the, the, the pillars of chapter 1 and chapter 4? We see how Naomi acted in chapters 2 and 3. I want you to notice something here. Will you just take a look at Ruth in chapter 3? Notice what she says in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? Shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? Here was a woman who was able to turn from the kind of, to be honest, self-pitying, self-centered approach of, I'm going to seal myself off because life is so bitter and I don't want anyone to participate in my own bitterness, to a woman who began to reach out beyond herself to serve others, to focus on others, a woman who found purpose not in her grief and her suffering, but found purpose in bringing light and love and peace into others. Here was a woman whose identity was in being bitter. I'm embittered. 
God has dealt bitterly with me. And suddenly in Ruth chapter 2 and Ruth chapter 3, as she sees a couple rays of sunshine shining through that dark cloud, she says, you know what? My name's Naomi. I can be a delight to others. I can be a delight to my daughter-in-law, Ruth, and come alongside and encourage her to make sure that it shall be well with her and to seek rest for her. Here's, here's my simple point and my encouragement to any of us who are in seasons of, 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 of a frowning providence. Start turning away intentionally from focusing on yourself and your own bitterness of soul. And start looking to those whom God has brought into your life and have a purpose and an identity in ministering God's grace and goodness to them. Start intentionally focusing in turning away from only looking at the mirror that is staring back at your own suffering, your own difficulty, and look beyond it to those whom God is allowing to be around you. It's never as bad as it seems. You have more than you know. And God is willing to give you a fresh identity and purpose in taking, going beyond your suffering and bringing grace and peace to those who are near you. I'm reminded of a wonderful quote by Jim Elliott. He said this, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. And I want to just encourage you tonight. I thought of this as you, perhaps you've taken off on an airplane. And you have gone as you have on takeoff. It's been a completely dark, overcast sky. And the rain is coming down. And it's just the most dreary day you can possibly imagine. And you take off and you get up to the cloud level. Have you ever had this happen? And you break through the clouds and all you see is sun. All you see is light. The reality, friends, is that sun is there the whole time. That sunlight is beaming. The only thing that appears to be stopping it is the clouds that separate it. And I think of this for all of us who are in seasons right now of a dark cloud, of a frowning providence. Remember the story of Naomi. And remember that above that cloud, that dark cloud, there's a sunshine. It's always there. There's always a smiling face. Why? Because the scripture says in Romans 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of God? Because we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. So friends, wherever you are, whatever season of frowning providence you are in tonight, or whatever season you may be entering that you don't even know, be all there. Be all there. It's not as bad as it seems. You have more than you realize. And God will give you an identity and a purpose beyond your suffering. This is the story of Naomi. And for each one of us, may it be the story of God's delight in us.